Major changes in your life can impact your physical and emotional health. Psychologists and mental health professionals have come up with various kinds of tests or questionnaires that you can take to see whether or not you are likely to have health risks given your current circumstances. One of these tests is called the Social Readjustment Rating Scale. It gives a point value to common life change events based on how traumatic the change typically is in someone's life. So as you look at this chart, you add up your score. A score of less than 150 means there's a 30% likelihood of experiencing some kind of illness. A score of 150 to 300 means you're 50% susceptible, and 300 points or higher means there's an 80% chance of physical or mental illness coming your way. Sometimes when I'm doing pastoral counseling with a person or a couple, and they're telling me their story, it becomes clear that they've checked a lot of these life event stressor boxes. And I tell them that. If you're stressed, it's because you should be. Your life is stressful right now. You've actually been through a lot. And sometimes it's helpful to point this out to someone, help them realize it's not that you're a bad sailor, it's just that you're in the middle of a storm. Well, I ran the events that are told in Ruth chapter one through this stress index. And Naomi and Ruth are both prime candidates for some heavy depression or a season of debilitating physical illness. Death of a spouse, death of a close family member, change in financial state, trouble with in-laws, change in living conditions, relocating. Both of these women got a score well over 300, putting them in the at-risk category. We even see early signs of depression in Naomi's comments about feeling empty and embracing bitterness when she returns back home. It's quite likely that when they return to Bethlehem, Naomi just shuts down. Ruth, on the other hand, does what a lot of people find helpful when they feel low. She helps someone else out. Sometimes a good way to, to stop focusing on your own misery is to, to lift up your head and roll up your sleeves and serve someone who has it even worse than you do. And that's what Ruth does. Ruth made a commitment to Naomi, and so now she sets out to work in the harvest field so that she can support both of them. What we'll see this morning is that by God's providence, their circumstances will start to change for the better. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Gleaning is the process of picking up the scraps of the crops that were missed or dropped by the harvesters. Gleaning is something that Israelites were actually commanded to do in the law of Moses for the poor people in their fields. It was kind of an, an ancient welfare system. In Leviticus chapter 19, the same place where we get the command to love your neighbor as yourself, it says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And also in Deuteronomy chapter 24, when you are harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. These laws show the heart that God has 
for the poor, the outsider, and the person whose circumstances give them a pretty high stress index score. But just because this was commanded and done by landowners doesn't mean that it was always appreciated by all Israelites. Some field owner, owners would obey this law begrudgingly, or they were stingy with how they measured, measured the edges of their field, the area from which the poor were allowed to glean. Gleaning actually could be really dangerous and competitive and sometimes unfruitful work uh, as a way of trying to feed your family. But the good news for Ruth is that the field that she ended up in was overseen by a good man named Boaz. Scripture calls him a man of standing or a man of valor. Today we might just call him a good dude. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. See, everyone's happy when this guy shows up. He's a good dude. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. There's a detail here that's easy to miss. Ruth asking to glean and gather behind the harvesters. The procession of barley harvesters went like this. First, you had the harvesters, the ones who would swing the sickle and cut down the stalks. Then behind them came the female servants who would gather and bind the stalks into bundles. And then after all of that, came the gleaners to pick up whatever was left over. But Ruth breaks protocol and asks if she can glean with the women who were behind the harvesters. She's asking for an upgrade to the status of worker rather than gleaning with the poor where she belongs. And there would be way more barley grains to get behind the harvesters rather than behind the bundlers. It's a pretty audacious request. Kind of reminds me of a time when I was on a road trip with some of my buddies and we, we stopped at a gas station. A guy came up to us and he said, hey, you know, I'm kind of stranded here. I wondered if you guys could give me a couple bucks for some gas. And we were all pretty good dudes. So we said, sure. We dug in our pockets and we each gave him a dollar or two. And then the man said, thanks, you guys. But you know, what you gave me is only going to add up to about a gallon or two of gas. And that's not going to get me very far. Do you think you could give me a little bit more? Now, pause for a moment and think about how you would react when someone that you gave something to asks for more. Lisa and I have a phrase that we use with our girls in the house when this happens. We often say, be grateful, not greedy. And that might be your reaction when you hear this guy's request at the gas station. You might think, hey, look buddy, they didn't have to give you anything. Why don't you just be grateful that you got something? And I gotta admit, I did feel a little bit of that that day, but this guy was right. We were all patting ourselves on the back for the something that we gave him, but this guy still needed more and he couldn't afford to not ask for it. Well, that's what Ruth does in Boaz's field. She asks for more because she's poor and she needs it. This kind of request challenges good people to examine their motives. Do we really want to help people or do we just want to say that we helped people? Letting someone glean is a kind of minimal act of kindness. A modern day equivalent of that would be just not shooing somebody away who's trying to find food in your trash can. That's a pretty low bar for loving your neighbor as yourself. And Ruth challenges us by asking the question, can we raise the standard a little bit more? And since Boaz is a good dude, he responds in a positive and generous way. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. 
Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found so much favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Ruth's reputation preceded her. Boaz had heard that Ruth had shown kindness to his relative Naomi, so now it becomes easy for him to show kindness to her in return. He knows that she's not greedy. He knows that she's not lazy. He knows that she's an honest woman who keeps her commitments. And so he's eager to help her out. And now might be a good place for us to pause and ask ourselves, what kind of reputation do I have? What do people say about me when they're out in the barley field? Boaz has a good reputation of being a good dude. Ruth has a reputation of caring for others. When your reputation travels ahead of you, does it say something that you want people to know? We'll come back to that in just a little bit. The next few verses of the story kind of play out like a montage of Boaz being nice to Ruth and Ruth realizing what a great situation she's in, being on Boaz's land and being in his care. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and she had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even you know, pull out some stocks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today was Boaz. She said, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. When you read Ruth, you may notice that we don't hear God's voice in this story. God doesn't really have any lines in Ruth. We don't see the mighty hand of God parting the waters of the Red Sea like he does with Moses or sending fire down from the heavens like with Elijah. But that doesn't mean that God is not in this story. Instead of working through miraculous supernatural events, God works through people like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. People who were very aware of God's abiding presence themselves. 
Look back in chapter 2 and notice how many times God's blessing was spoken upon someone. Boaz arrives in his field and pronounces a blessing on his workers. The Lord be with you. And they bless him right back. The Lord bless you. Also, Boaz finds out about Ruth's kindness to Naomi and he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And when Ruth brings home an abundance from gleaning, Naomi says, The Lord bless the man who took notice of you. A lot of bad things happened in Ruth chapter 1. And now a lot of good things are happening in Ruth chapter 2. But God was present and active in both chapters. God is present in our sufferings and God is present in our rejoicings. Naomi acknowledges God when her cup is empty and she also acknowledges God when her cup is full. It's tempting to read all the good things that happen in Ruth chapter 2 and go, okay, well, clearly the lesson here is be a good dude like Boaz. Be a hardworking, honest lady like Ruth, and then you will receive God's blessing. A few minutes ago, I asked you to consider what kind of reputation you have. But it wasn't because I want you to feel good if you have a good reputation and bad if you have a bad reputation. It's to remind you that no matter your reputation or your current circumstances or your stress level, you are God's beloved. Whether your cup is empty or full, you were created in God's image. He knows you. He is with you. He is for you. And you are blessed. Whether you have a good reputation like Ruth and Boaz or you're barely holding on and have nothing to contribute like Naomi, you are blessed because God says so. The gospel message is not that we earn our salvation. It's that someone else bought it for us. Romans 5 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Spiritually speaking, we ran out of gas on the freeway and the money that we've managed to scrounge up isn't going to cover it. We need someone to forgive our mistakes and to be generous enough to help us and to save us. And that's what Jesus did. Think about this. Did Boaz protect Ruth and give her special treatment because of her good reputation? Or was Boaz just the kind of good dude who would have done that for anyone? Boaz seems like the kind of guy who takes very seriously his role as a bearer of God's image. God wants to care for the poor, the widow, and the foreign immigrants. And so Boaz thinks, well, that's what I want too. Boaz's goodness reflects God's goodness. And I want the same to be true of me. If there's anything good about me and the things that I do in my life, it's because God was good to me first. If I have ever shown love to anyone, it's because I learned what love was from the God who never stops showing his kindness, who gave himself to die so that I could live. And that's the gospel. That's the good news that we hold on to as Christians. And I don't know about you, but knowing that kind of love that God has for a poor gleaner like me, brings my stress score way down. It doesn't make all of my challenges in life go away, but it gives me confidence to know that while the world around me is changing constantly, that I am known and I am loved and I am made whole by the God of creation. If you want to be generous and faithful like Boaz, bold and selfless like Ruth, and if you want God to use you to bless others, then I encourage you to come closer to the Lord by knowing and following Jesus Christ. 
When someone believes what the Bible says about Jesus, that he's the Son of God, that his sacrifice on the cross saves us from sin and death, and that there's life in him, then that person becomes baptized, and they're open to God's Spirit at work in their life, and then they wear the name Christian for the rest of their life. If this is something that you'd like to do, please let us know. You can contact me or any of the other Tri-Valley leaders, and we'd be glad to walk alongside you on your journey of faith. Or if you need prayer, or just a caring friend or a listening ear, please let us know. We want to serve you any way that we can. So now we invite you to sing this song that declares our faith and trust in the Lord, no matter what our circumstances. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea Let's be more back as a scroll.